0: Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming at you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. What a great guest. We have Dwight Hurst, but first, I gotta do a little podcast brag. Something amazing happened for the show that I never thought even possible. Uh, Sometime last week, Let's Chat with Revel and Friends cracked the iTunes chart. We were number 138 of the top comedy podcast, which blew my fucking mind to be in the same list with podcasts such as Nerdist or WTF with Mark Marin that I listened to a lot for the last five years. Uh, none of this would be possible without the Misfits Network, uh, so iTunes does rank the top 300 podcasts. If I made 300, I'd freak my shit out, uh, but no, number 138, and when... To make it even better, there's a bunch of other amazing podcasts in right around that area, with all on the Misfits Network, uh, themisfitsnetwork.com. Please check out our website. The Misfits Network has been so good to me and provided so many opportunities. And I'm just congratulations to all the fellow podcasters on the network who made it on that iTunes chart. It was a great way to wake up and look at iTunes and get that message from uh, Aaliyah and see, uh, just to see yourself on that chart. It was man, I. When I started this with Mike a year and a half ago now, in the, we're in like episode 82. I never, ever, 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 ever thought in a million years that would happen. So just thank you. Uh, if you want to tell me how I'm talking too much, on, you can find me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. Email Let's Chat Podcast at gmail.com and Facebook.com slash Let's Us Chat. On to today's guest, the wonderful, the amazing Dwight Hurst. Dwight is a psychotherapist, author, fellow podcaster, all-around great guy. Uh, We got along really well and was fucking awesome. And I know I always say everyone who's been on here is really awesome, but I've had a lot of good luck. Like, if you don't know, I most recently almost never know these people beforehand. Uh, I followed Dwight on Twitter, and then I listened to his podcast, so therefore I had an idea of who I was inviting on. But we really got along well, and it's a little bit different from some of the other guests. Usually the people I'm trying to go after are more in the entertainment world or friends, but I work in the mental health field, and I'll talk about that. I work for an outpatient program in Rhode Island. Dwight is uh, does private practice in Utah. He's had a ton of cool jobs. His podcast, The Broken Brain Podcast, is really good. I've listened to a handful of them. I love The superhero the Psychology of Superheroes, uh, that one. And his podcast has actually helped me on a professional and a personal level. Uh, I'm I love going to therapy. It's a wonderful thing, and I got to talk to about him about some stuff about suicide and he kind of gave me a different perspective on it that really really fascinating. Um, it's just nice meeting nice cool uh, smart people. Check out his podcast his his writing, uh, everything he does, some of the groups and the trainings, his workshops everything he does on Dwighthurst.com, com uh, follow them on Twitter at broken brain and uh, you know I, I'm really just happy this is just such a fun podcast and for once it uh, the podcast kind of crossed over into my career and now uh, has helped me become a better person and a better at uh, my job so so uh, let's get to it we got with let's get to it it's Dwighthurst. <laughs>
1: The hard, the hard, he never thought that hip-hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Uh-huh. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade.
0: Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Piece to raw jeans, blue-cee-bee, to bring. master flex, love, bust, Star skeet. The way with the mental health system, i am sure, I don't know if you might feel the same way, but like, you either had to have like a lot of money or absolutely no money at all to get any help.
1: Yeah, that that that's it. I mean, you still have like me. What I do now is I'm, I'm purely private practice psychotherapy, um, and and I see that where the, you do get that it, in the middle. It's basically like people will come see someone like me because that's what their insurance will pay for. Yep. But if you're like have intense needs, then you need to be either destitute and able to qualify for government services or just have tons of money or else you really like coming to see someone like me and cobbling together self-help materials.
0: Yeah. And just trying to avoid going to hospitals that cost a lot of money.
1: Exactly. And a lot of
0: times you have to hit like rock bottom. So like, and one thing we do too, we actually have peer specialists. So we have like two guys who are there with lived experience as well. So people can volunteer to work with them as well. So like, um, so it's kind of nice meeting people who've kind of, Work and they're, they're, you know, they're my peers as well, and like we're colleagues sure. and really like them too. They're really great guys.
1: Oh, that's cool. We've got uh, we've had uh, a guy named uh, Craig Lewis on the show. That's essentially what he does. He does case management, but he's a peer specialist in Boston. He's written a book uh, called I'll, I'll plug it for him here Better Days Recovery. He's actually ready to go on a tour of uh, Europe to promote it to some mental health people out there.
0: Wow, I gotta uh, check that out.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can you can follow him like on Facebook, or he's on a couple episodes of uh, the Broken Brain too. If you scroll through our old ones, it usually has his name. So. Oh yeah,
0: I definitely do that. Uh, the one thing I uh, I noticed about your podcast um, that made me think we'll get along great is that you referenced cracked articles in The Simpsons. In the few episodes <laughs> I listened to, I was like, all right, we're good.
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I quote I quote like David Wong, or I'll quote like uh, Homer Simpson. One of those is a real person sort of, but, uh, Homer <laughs> <no>. Simpson, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: well, he feels real.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I learned David Wong's real name is Jason Pargins, but so I guess that's a pen name, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I find that I, I find a lot of relatable things all over the place. So yeah. And I'm a big fan of like comedy and, uh, fiction of all kinds. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, I, I think would, would match. Well, I was listening to some of your episodes too. And yeah, I like oh, it. Your, your sense of humor and your approach to things
0: yeah i yeah, like uh he did one uh the superhero psychology one i thought was uh really interesting and, um and, and just fun because it was just kind of like a bunch of like uh dudes who love superheroes who happen to work in the field who can, can relate it to the field but it was like even if you don't know anything about mental health you just you know batman so like it's so yeah, easy it's to back.
1: get yeah <laughs> You know, it's funny. We after we did that one, we we just sort of threw that episode together. We're like, hey, let's let's talk about superheroes. It was uh, one of the Phil guys on the show who comes on sometimes. Um, he's he's a guy who who I used to work in the same building where he worked, and we just got to talk. And he's actually a mechanic, but he's he's been open about it on the show. He's he's uh, he's been through some of his own mental health treatment and his family, and so he, he likes talking with us. So we he wanted to come on the show. He said, let's talk about superheroes, and I said, all right, let's do it. And, we, we may do a follow-up to that episode because we, we felt like we spent a lot of time on Batman. <laughs> it's just – you know, but what are you going to do? So Yeah,
0: but you like what you like. You know, it's easy. Exactly. But like I if think... you did like the psychology of Ant-Man or any of those lesser-known characters, I would be lost He's... completely. But I don't like, like... – yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. What do you guys think about – because I remember when uh, the Batman The Dark Knight Rises came out and like – I don't know where I was or if I was in the field yet, but I just know at some point in every job I've ever had, we end up talking at every lunch. Somehow, the Dark Knight Rises come up, and you always have. We always have. This, there's always seems to be wherever I work. There's just one client that will remind me of the Joker, and I quote Alfred: yeah. "Like some men just want to watch the world burn."
1: Watch the world burn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll I tell you. Of the three, I mean, this is I know. So this is me geeking out on Batman here. But when, I remember when the first Christopher Nolan Batman came out. Like, I was, I was, uh, I was, I think I was already living here in Utah. I grew up back east. And, uh, my brother lives in Baltimore and my, my sister, her, her family, my brother and his family are in Baltimore, my sister and her family are in D.C., and my parents still in Pennsylvania. So, anyway, I, I got on the phone, I called my brother and I was like, hey, it looks like they got one right. And he's like, yep, because we were both big Batman fans and we were never happy with any movies because we were just too snobby to like them, I guess. <laughs> they just didn't meet our needs, you know? And, uh, when that, so the second one, I think, is by far the best of the three. Oh,
0: yeah. Right? Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: The, the Dark Knight, where he's uh, very, very, like, especially for a superhero movie at the time, although I think they've upped their game since then, they, they really tried to make it pretty morally complex. Um, and I think one of the things that I noticed they did, and this might be the, the psychological side of me coming out, is that throughout the whole thing, they never really give the Joker a backstory. And in the comics, he does sometimes they'll have a backstory where his wife's murdered and he's a U.S. veteran or something. Or there's all these things that they'll do to try to because you know comic books they have to come up with a story per month like forever, you know. Yeah. But but I thought and and I think I think this is why I got the idea that Nolan did that on purpose to make him less relatable because I think that made him scarier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I. I I couldn't agree anymore because even in the video games, don't they do like some backstory on him?
1: Oh yeah, see, because I think people want a backstory, and that's that. That was the genius there was denying it to you because when they're like, he does his prints don't show up, his clothes are ta- are like handmade, his we got nothing on him, we can't figure out who the hell he is. And then even when he would tell his little story to people about his scars... They were all different. <laughs> they were all different. Now that, the first time, like, your brain latches on and says, oh, his dad abused him, okay, or whatever the first one was. And then the second time, you were like, wait a minute, he's just screwing with people. That's even more evil and scary.
0: <laughs> you know, in the first scene where he's at the mansion and, like, some guy steps up against him, um, who is, that's, um, I can't remember his name, but he's, like, a senator from Vermont. I think he was, like, a... Die Hard Batman fan. They gave him a cameo in the oh, movie. Really, I didn't know that. He's yeah, Patrick Leahy, I believe. I could be wrong, but I remember my dad telling me that. I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." I guess he's like just been like an avid Batman fan his entire life. That's oh.
1: amazing. Oh, that's awesome.
0: I mean, I don't want to be that person. Like that role took Heath Ledger's life, but like, uh, it did not help. I would assume with whatever he was going through.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I look at that and say, you know, that – it wouldn't – I know people say it like it made him go over the edge or whatever, but I, I would say – and I don't know, this is nothing against all the method actors out there, not to alienate all your method actor listeners, but...
0: Yeah, all one of them.
1: <laughs> if yeah, they exist. Daniel Day-Lewis is a big fan of the show, that's what I heard. yeah, but <laughs>
0: yeah I, I think he's he's probably my Italy downloads when he's and, cobbling his shoes. There you go,
1: him, him and Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> are when they're getting together, obsessing about their roles. No, I, in fact, I would probably view this both of those things, the fact that he... Uh, you know, finally lost himself over to, to that struggle with mental illness. I, I so, Sometimes you hear about this where somebody is such a method actor that they end up um, – that they throw themselves so much into the role. I think that they're probably come from the same place, if that makes sense, more than – I don't know. There's a chicken in the egg there, I guess, but – you know, more than the Joker making him crazy, you know, the amount of investment and and therefore the performance that you get that we all enjoy as audiences being better. But, but you know, how do you throw yourself into that so much? I mean, I've heard or uh, read stories about Daniel Day-Lewis on the set of movies to where, like, people won't even talk to him because, you know, he, re- he refuses to answer unless you call him Lincoln, if he's on the Lincoln movie, you know, or whatever. and And people have a hard time socially with that. And it's like, we get a great performance for us, but it's like, would you want to work with someone who was
0: that? No, he sounds like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, imagine if I went, if we went to our job one day and just did that. Like, you just, you can't act- do that. And like, I, can- I, I don't know if I believe, and I also don't know much about acting. I feel like acting looks super easy, but I know it's not. So like.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: But I could just, I don't think that's, I don't think, I think with the Heath Ledger thing, I think people, we like to romanticize it. Like, oh my God, the role took him. It's like. Well, I, I'm going to guess that wasn't the first time in his life he took drugs and drank alcohol simultaneously. Sure, and sure. You work in the field long enough you know that it cuts across class, race, gender. It it affects every single person. People you would never expect in your entire life have have those issues. It, it, sometimes it's perplexing. I'm like, really?
1: And I think You? One of the things that that I run into... Yeah, I think it's it's much... Especially the suicidal thing is much more common than we think it is. And as you know when you work with people especially coming out of the hospital system when they are suicidal basically the only way to survive being suicidal you know no matter what type of treatment you do is just basically to not do it long enough that you eventually aren't suicidal anymore and yeah, so yeah. when somebody makes that uh, you know is in that place and especially if you're intoxicated and it just takes like a few minutes of being alone at the wrong time and actually doing it that time um, but for something to happen.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up, because I actually I listened to your, like, suicide mini-episode, and oh. I feel like I have had some obsession with this for a while, because, I uh, think, like, four or five years ago, one of my friends committed suicide, and then it was before I worked in the field, but I liked... I think, like, looking back, that's definitely part of a reason why I kind of ended up in the field in some weird way. Yeah. But, like, it and now I work with people who are, like, no one's a, a lot of suicidal ideation, some attempts here and there, to the point where I just think about it and talk about it so much, it's like nothing... I don't even pay attention to it like when i like talk to my wife or friends are like that's really heavy i was like yeah not really it's fine like it's
1: just suicide yeah whatever i think well actually it's one of the things that we do sometimes bring to offer like clients or patients that you work with where you can talk about it without freaking out where no one else in their life can really do that
0: yeah no judgment be like oh yeah you you took a bunch of pills or you cut yourself that's cool. So right. everyone else here, you're fine. Let's Yes. Can you contact for safety? Like, what can we do to make sure you're alive for tomorrow? Yeah. I should say the people I work with, too, aren't really at that high of risk, like because they wouldn't be outpatient
1: if oh, they right. were. Uh, but, uh, but you see a lot of people who still struggle with it, you know?
0: Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. It, it kind of blows my because the people we work with, because it's private health insurance, it's like a lot of people I work with are like, just people with jobs and families sure. and kids, or they made it to forty or fifty and never had uh, any episodes in their entire life, and all of a sudden it just hits you one day. Which it's like, always now my new fear that like fifty, I'm going, it's going to hit me. I'm like, what? I didn't know I had this.
1: Well, and actually, you know, it, it's a good reason to be cautious about what's available to me and what's my support system. I mean, even when you've never had that experience and you have been healthy, you know, it, it's it's. It, there's a certain amount of arrogance that people have to be like, oh, I just know for sure I would never be there, and so I, I don't need to at all worry about it, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, therapy is a great thing. Everyone should go. I, uh, it's probably one of the best things I ever did re- like maybe like a year ago. I started going, and even when I feel great, it's, it's actually better. The better I feel, the better I get. I feel from going to it.
1: <laughs> it that's interesting because I, I notice that a lot when people come to see me. Uh, you get that effect sometimes where someone's going through a really hard time, they're dealing with a lot of really heavy things, and then they come in and it's like, yeah, actually, it was actually I've been good the last couple of weeks and nothing really. And I'm like, great. And sometimes there's almost like a feeling, especially if someone hasn't done therapy before, where they're like, I, do I, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And then sure enough, we talk about stuff that's probably way more meaningful than when we're just treading water, you oh, know? Oh God, <laughs> stuff you never
0: even knew about, like. Yeah, yeah,
1: really get to know yourself.
0: Yeah, and like I I I I can fairly say I had like a very good life and like I've great family and like and um I was like I don't know, I have nothing nothing really to work out. And then you're like, "Oh, even these little tiny things you just don't even think of." Like okay. It's it's yeah. incredible. But I I love the what you were how you kind of So I'm I think you did that suicide episode you did was a little probably a little while back it was around the time of uh Robin Williams. So I liked what you a lot of the stuff you were saying if you could trying to get about like Because the thing I never thought about with suicide is how it's just like – I forgot how you worded it, but it was – people don't uh, – it's not a selfish act. It's just a way for people to escape pain, and you kind of like verbalized why someone would do it in a way that was – I'd never heard anyone say and it made me understand it way better. I was like, oh, okay.
1: Uh, No, I – and that's just something I've noticed a lot is that uh, I I feel like we often attack – Uh, The person who's suicidal and we even attack the idea of suicide. And one of the things I've noticed when I've talked to people is that it's not suicide by itself is usually not a crazy idea or or even a mentally ill or illogical idea. It's usually based on a belief that nothing's going to ever get better. And if you think about it, if if everything's terrible, a and b, nothing's ever going to improve ever, and I know that for sure. Suicide actually becomes like a logical, viable option to an intelligent person. Um, and so, really, what you're dealing with is is that belief. Really, that's what needs to change, um, because that flows very naturally and logically into suicide. And so, when someone is in pain and they don't think it'll ever be different and they're losing hope, then they become sort of a victim of that thought process more than anything else. And so it's not – and that's just something I've just noticed over the years is that, number one, I don't believe it is a selfish act because of that. The other part of it is that I don't think it's practically useful to to call it that. I mean I've met a few people who have not killed themselves simply because of guilt, like, oh, everyone would feel bad. But by and large, practically speaking, most people who are suicidal, they – Are pretty sure that everyone's going to be okay without them you know when you're hope when you're feeling hopeless and everything's gonna be better you you start to either feel like hey everybody's gonna get over it and they'll be better off without me because i'm terrible or you start believing like well why why is everybody so insistent that i need to continue to live with this pain just so that they don't feel icky and that you know and, and so then they they start to resent that thought process sometimes
0: yeah, that's interesting, because I, I don't think I've ever put myself in the shoes of someone who's gone through it that way, and it really kind of, like, it made me think a lot of, like, my, uh, my friend and, and some of the people I work with, and I was like, oh, and then I, and it was just so sad, because, like, it was talking about, like, victim blaming, I mean, like, for example, Robin Williams, because that's such a huge case, I, I neither of us knew him personally, but right. I did see, like, people were just so mean to his poor daughter who lost, in my oh head, my- I'm like, oh, that poor, she lost her dad, like, I, I don't even know how to process that. A, to lose your parent has got to be a horrible, devastating experience. And then to lose him in that way, because, like, I mean, I've lost a, f- a family member and friend from suicide, and it's hard, because you almost don't want to tell people what happened, especially after it happens, because you, like, I remember, like, not, I remember, like, my... yeah, I yeah. remember, like, not, my friend Ken died, uh, he committed suicide, and I wouldn't say he committed suicide to anyone for, like, maybe, like, four months, just because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want you to think of him that way, I don't want you to remember him that way, and then, it was just totally projecting what I thought other people's negative views were.
1: Yeah, it's it's a real interesting uh, reaction, and you know, and I remember the thought process I had going into that when I made that uh, little episode. Uh, I wasn't going. I actually had made a conscious choice, probably, not to reference this because I felt like everybody who had a blog or a podcast or anything to do with mental health was going like, Robin Williams, Robin Williams, and I. Like I said, I didn't know him. And I thought, well, whatever. But I, I, had just, I think I had maybe just come off of some Facebook thread that I'd read or something. And um, I remember, and I don't think I said this on the thing, but I, I posted something just on somewhere in social media where I just said, hey, you know, everyone who isn't an expert in suicide or hasn't been suicidal themselves, maybe they should just shut the hell up about it <laughs> for a while <laughs> because they don't know what they're talking about. And I had, to, and, and it was that. That's what kind of triggered for me is when I saw how mean everyone was to his to his daughter and saying like what is the purpose of this anger you know
0: no, and, like, and people that didn't know him like right they, they took it as a slide against themselves like oh my god you I'm like, and I, I the only re- thing i know from Rob williams that i cared about recently was um he did an episode of wtf with mark maron a couple years ago and then i heard that episode i was like wow he makes a lot more sense or like yeah you know, i everyone's like but he seems so happy but like, like he was an actor like you weren't seeing the real Robin I mean, of course he was happy. You could be happy and commit suicide. That happens all the time.
1: Sure.
0: <laughs> but it was just like, I, we don't know this person. So, you know, I felt bad, but it was – I don't well, know I, what
1: it is. You know what? It's interesting to me. was when you throw celebrity into the mix, everybody feels a little bit of ownership uh, of that person. Uh, whether, well, it's not justified, but everyone feels not just of their persona either, and that's when – Well, plus when you live in a world that is so accessible, you know, um, a lot of entertainers and comedians and people that we that we enjoy and respect, you know, a lot of them have like podcasts or go on each other's podcasts, and you get these these. That's what's great about the podcasting medium is get very personal, and people open up and stuff, and you almost feel like you know people. And then when people discover that they don't or they don't have that access or that person does something they don't approve of, they kind of flip out. Like like it's – I don't know. I mean you, you can't really justify that kind of controlling attitude about another person. But it's almost like it's their kid or their or their sibling or something and it's like, no, 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 no I I have the right to have a voice because I've got a microphone or a screen that reaches – A Facebook account. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. thats not that – that- how do you think this is a, like social media will like psychologically affect like teens or people who will grow up with this? Like, because all of those same pitfalls of high school or youth will still exist, but now it's just on display. I mean, I think there's gonna be positive, but there's also definitely gonna be a lot of negative.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm I'm I tend to be an optimist about these kinds of things because most changes that become cultural and remain. Uh, you know, they, there's usually some kind of balancing act where, where it all balances out. You get some people that overuse it. But um, I had heard somebody say that basically technology and social media is like, it's kind of like a magnifying glass that anything you do, you now do permanently, sort of, you know, and, and you can do on a wider scale. And um, and I think, I think the adjustment that's going to have to happen is that we all have to get used to that world. And we still have Because you know, even like I don't know, I don't even know how old you are, but I think we're probably about the same sort of. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm thirty. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I got a few few years on you, but we're of the same we're of the same generation where we grew. I remember growing
0: up before computers were in the home.
1: (laughs) Exactly, growing up and being like, uh, yeah, I remember we had at some point in my teens we could get online and look up and see if the library had a book, but it took longer than just calling the library. Yeah, AOL. Yeah, exactly. They all
0: dial up, and then uh, and then if someone called your house, it would kick you off.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) it's kind of funny to think back about how much has
1: changed. Yeah, that whole noise it would make, dialed up, and and so you know, so so there's those of us that are like active adults right now. You know, we still look at it. For example, I I talk to parents when I have teenage clients. You know, I'll talk to parents that say, "Yeah, we've told them we don't want them on Facebook till they're 18," uh, and We've told them that you know if you meet someone online, that's not a real friend if you never met them in real life. And I'm like, okay, well, how many people in their 30s are honoring those? Like, number one, your kid's probably already on Facebook if you don't think they are. That doesn't mean they aren't.
0: Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and
1: and the other thing is, you know, I, well, that that's not true for me. I have people I've met online. I mean, you and I met online for crying out loud. I Light. met my wife online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. There are people that I, you know, communicate with on Facebook. That I met them on Facebook. I've never, you know, oh,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and so you know that doesn't mean that I'm just meeting anyone willy-nilly. And so it's like trying to accommodate that our kids are going to have some different experiences. Huh. And yeah, I mean, take for example uh, the the fact that we're we're arming all of all of the youth of today with like mobile uh, photograph and movie studios that they can take any, anywhere with them all the time. And then we get shocked when they misuse them with their curiosity sometimes and they send each other nudie pics or they do things. It's like we we have to balance out the freak out mode and say, yeah. you know, that's a big deal and they need to learn safety. But on the other hand, it's not as big a deal as it was when you and I were little. That's true. That would have been much more difficult.
0: And I. I... I feel like every generation just gets old and becomes, begrudge, uh, like, curmudgeon against the generation, the newest one. And I, I, like, I'm sold that I'm, like, I'm never going to be that person. I don't want to be like, well, in my day, things are better. And, like, you okay. know, I, there is some study of, like, millennials and, like, the young, and, and I don't, which I think I'm a part of, which I just found that out recently. I, for some oh. reason, didn't realize I didn't know what? I was millennial. <laughs> but, um, like, they're more socially aware, they're more politically involved, they're more open to, like, uh, like the same, uh, well now we just call it marriage, but same sex marriage right. like that would have not have passed if it wasn't for like the youth vote and the the acceptance. So I was like, well, you know, we shit on young kids, but a lot of these there's a lot of good. Like uh, I don't use Tumblr anymore, but I had a time where I used Tumblr, and it was just teenagers who were just so politically active, especially right. when I when uh, Ferg- I was on it when Ferguson was happening. It was just like these communities surrounding and going out of their way to do good things and. Uh, arming yourself with video cameras against uh, police brutality which um, I mean I know it doesn't happen all the time everywhere but it does happen and know your oh, rights
1: yeah. and well and you think about it we're seeing some social movements now that just wouldn't happen without that technology and even in countries that are, are uh, Trying to be more tyrannical to their people. That's sometimes that's the only accurate news reporting is people sending their cell phone footage and uploading it to YouTube. Or oh, something. like in
0: uh, Russia, that was the whole thing. They're like, you Russia, we're not invading Ukraine, and then soldiers are taking videos of tanks crossing yeah. in. They're like, are you fucking yeah. kidding me?
1: You know, there's a there's a effect called the Flynn effect that uh, there's been some studies. It was from a researcher who I, I believe his name was Flynn, if I remember correctly. But I think that's why it's called that. Uh, the Flynn effect it is studying this this dynamic, this uh, occurrence. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That uh, each generation tends to be a little bit smarter, and when I say smarter, it's just like they have higher IQs on average than the previous generation. And it's like a it's it's measurable to like the average is like a, a, I think an IQ point per generation.
0: That's great. So that if-
1: yeah, and, and so it's interesting because you said, yeah, there's that effect of, oh, kids today, they're just not as smart and we're hardworking. And well, you know, in some cases, sure, you can. And those are the cases people look for to confirm that bias. But overall, you know, they have to they have to come into a world with a much more difficult infrastructure and many of them, most of them adapt. Uh, and, and the thing I, I noticed because I work with teens and, you know, I noticed that, uh, even amongst kind of the biased sample of teens that are struggling, that, that come in to see me, many of them are struggling with anxiety because, uh, you know, they're so productive. A lot of them are, are working. There's like, I think I was, I think it's from age 16 to early 20s. I saw some study that said something like 80, 85% of them have jobs. Uh, and that's, you know, you hear, oh, they're all lazy and they're all, and that's, that is not my experience at all when I yeah, work. Uh,
0: yeah, no, that's, I had a job too, and uh, Back, I'm like, how the fuck did I go to high school and have a job at the same time? So
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Like, what was wrong with me? <laughs> I mean, I I, like, I actually liked the job. I, I worked at a grocery store. I really liked it. But, like, yeah, that, oh, that's, sure. not, that's not lazy at all, right? That's, like, that's hard
1: work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I see that, too. And you know, one of the things that I think is funny, too, is um, just changing our expectations, to of parenting. Like, I, I see people who have a hard time with their kids are pursuing something that traditionally – is a field like like somebody who wants to be an artist or someone who wants to be an actor or someone who wants to do music or something like that. And one of the things I, I often encourage parents is, you know, we live in a, a time in a world where technology is such that they could actually really work on that. Uh, and, you know, they can start a YouTube show. They can do this. They can do that. If you can help them understand how to also support themselves uh that's important. But instead of just poo-pooing, I mean, I, I have people who come and say, well, my kid tells me they want to play video games, you know, and, the, and and gain a following and do this and do that. And it's like, well, did you know, that's not altogether insane all by itself. That's not like a, oh, they're just, you know, really, really out, out of touch with reality. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's not that's not like something you're gonna go and do like a fifty thousand dollar a year job playing video games. But you know, there's beta testers, there's people with uh, whatever it's called. Uh, 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 gosh, it's Twitcher? No, it's not Twitcher. It's something else. But I'm not a gamer really. So, <laughs> but you know, there's those, those services where you play online, people watch and oh, let's, so, let's play. Yeah, something like that. Something or like
0: you just yeah. talk over a game, and people watch you. Somebody's gonna
1: yeah, exactly. There's anyway, there are, those things do exist, and in yeah. a way. It's like making money on YouTube. It's not really very easy, and you need a million followers. But to just say no, you're nuts, and that doesn't exist, uh, is no longer accurate. You know, you have yeah. to actually deal with reality.
0: It's probably the same if you want to be an actor, or musician, like right. Like maybe a small percentage of people actually make money off of it, and then there's sure. some people who were like could do it for may not have fame, but they'll work forever. And then there's other people who try it and burn out. But you know, like exactly. teaching and kids like- the balance. Like all right, like we have my wife and I, uh, one of her really good friends, uh, is a New York City, she lives in New York City and she's an actress and then like, which I give her a lot of credit because that's a lot of uh, self-starting, right? Like,
1: oh, That's a lot of work. You have to,
0: a lot of work that you don't even get paid for. A lot of it is just getting the job, getting your foot in to get the job. You know, she teaches dance on the side and she does catering and she has like a bunch of different various part-time jobs to supplement her income because that, she's yeah. smart because she's like, well, I want to do this so I'll pursue my passion while I have a way to fund my life.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and I've worked with young people who they have a goal of like, uh, like playing music professionally or something like that, or, or being an actor. And uh, you know, now there's there's a lot of materials that you can read about, and you can read about actually the business of being that person. Uh, and that's just like what you just said. You have to be willing to work at some other jobs that don't, you know, that, that allow you the flexibility and not make a lot of money and maybe even delay some of your, you know, other plans. And then Right away, you see people run into where they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, do I really want to do the work of doing that?" Yeah. And and I, I I'm a big fan of letting people go through that themselves and and discovering it and saying, "Oh, okay. I either do or I don't." And and the sooner that they realize that they do or don't, the more they can move on to whatever's next. Yeah. Whereas you fight with them forever and they have to you know do this thing in secret and then it's like this big romanticized ideal. Then you're kind of pushing them more towards it.
0: And then I think it's always I always when I talk to people like that too I always explain they're like you know go f- and I don't not that it happens often but like hey you know go for it but you also know you can always just play music you don't have to make money from it so if it doesn't work out you don't you don't mean doesn't mean you'll never play music again like and maybe and you can always yeah. make some money from music right that could always be a part time gig and then you work a job job like.
1: But it all depends what you want. You don't want to learn the bit, because maybe you get into something and you're like, oh, the business of this. You know, I, I did some acting in high school, and I had a lot of uh, my friends who were really good at it, and they wanted to go on, because I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and a lot of them wanted to go on to New, to New York and try to act. And there was something it's like kind of attractive and intoxicating about that whole ideal, and I enjoyed acting itself. But I was like, I don't want to live an actor's lifestyle off stage. Because I don't want to. It's just not interesting to me the business of it. And so I can, you know, I can mess around in certain ways and use those talents and other things kind of for fun. But I don't want to do the business of it, so I don't. And and you know, and I think that's that's okay to be like, oh, I can have things that are hobbies, but not not necessarily need to make money from them, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I call that and like a chef, like it's a lifestyle job. Like I'm now really into the whole uh, working nine to five, paid time off, weekends off, like. It took me a while to get to this kind of schedule, but I really like it.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's nice. But so are you, um, you said you would do private practice. So, but I, what have you? What it's were your past experiences? I know I heard you mention you worked on a, a you worked in group homes before, which I've also have done. Which yeah, is, that's a experience. Oh. I think that's an experience everyone should have once. But you know, I had some good.
1: I think everybody in mental health should work in residential treatment or yeah. or, in,
0: uh... or any anyone I've ever met. Like I feel like you should work at least one year of your life in retail. One year life in one year life in group home, and then you'll understand society for the rest of your life. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's a that's a good metric. Uh, I Never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I worked in my first job in mental health was actually in an inpatient unit. It was uh, primarily designed designed for uh, youth, adolescents, and and then there were some children units there too. I would float over to adult units though too. So I was kind of like the the week the every other weekend guy at first, and then I just pick up shifts. And it's funny because I would say I, I, you know, I may have romanticized it, but I think it really was my actual first shift. I'd been through some training, and I go in, and they had said, uh, "Okay, we're gonna put you, we're gonna put you with Ricky today." I'm making up a name, Um, you know, because obviously, and I don't even remember what real name is, but we're gonna put you with him today, and he's a, you know, not he's very low functioning. Uh, He has autism, and he's mentally handicapped. He can't speak. Uh, he's really big and he does tend to sometimes get violent. So be careful. And, Jesus. uh, and they said, uh, yeah. Oh, one of them on the way out of this, like this staffing meeting, they're like, so, uh, if he takes his shoes off, that usually means he's getting a little antagonized. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So I walk out into the, like the day room area that you'd be familiar with, right? Any hospital, they have like this big room where yep. people hang out and there's a TV or whatever. So there's all these teenagers kind of hanging out. And I look there and this is a 17 year old, you know, person, uh, and I look there, and there's this, this this like probably six foot tall, 200 pound guy with a kind of like shaved head and glassy eye stare sitting at a table with a pair of shoes sitting on the table next to him. <laughs> oh God! And I said, I think that's him. And so, and you know, anyway, but I, that was that was kind of a a baptism of fire or whatever, uh, working with somebody who most shifts would get somewhat physically aggressive, and I had to learn to deal with that and to like look for his nonverbal communication and that was a great introduction actually we actually got to where he really liked it when i'd come around uh and i kind of learned how to handle him and stuff and how to relate to him and so that that was actually a great introduction because from there i went to work with uh very aggressive youth in residential treatment and so learning some of those things about when you when you had to work with someone who you couldn't communicate with traditionally you know it, it made you think about how to talk to people. So it was it an interesting experience starting out with that.
0: God, yeah. It makes I'm having like flashbacks. It's, it's
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. No, it's a difficult thing, especially when you're working with people who uh, are, you know, primarily they're there because they're, they're mentally ill and they're not fully responsible. You can't respond to them the same as somebody on the street who just takes a swing at you or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Not that, not that that's a desirable uh, experience either, but...
0: No, yeah, I'm glad... I don't have any... I don't work anywhere now where, like, there's a fear of violence, like,
1: that's... I know, that's me too. <laughs> I, I've had
0: that yeah. before, yeah. I worked with adults with developmental disabilities for about a year. I learned a lot, but I just... It wasn't for me. It's hard. Like, I give... People who do those jobs, I give a lot of credit to. It's really hard. Yeah. It's just so hard. It's, it's just a weird... Th- and, and it's like, you, know, you literally have to... Clean, I it only happened what it happened enough where like, there was a couple times where like you you literally had to I had to literally clean up human shit and it's like oh yes yeah this
1: definitely this is
0: uh this is humbling but uh the, I actually but I, the thing was I actually really liked the individuals that I worked with it wasn't them that I didn't like it was just I I did overnight so it just it wasn't a desirable hours or anything but right you know, they I've were really great too. people
1: yeah. yeah you know I've done the, it it's interesting I, I decided to go back and get my uh, my master's degree, so I could get my license. When I was I was managing a, a residential unit that was in part of like it was like a campus system for, for adolescents, and you had, we had all these different group homes, and I was just the kind of a mid-level manager of one of those homes over a bunch of the the other residential staff, you know, basically, um, gone as far as I could go without without further education. And it was, it was interesting. One day I got called over into the therapist's office, and we had, and bless her heart, nothing against her, but we had a therapist who was just right out of school, and she had been, you know, gotten this job and just thrown right in. She'd never worked in mental health before and was trying to do therapy with these really, really high needs. Uh, it was the, the State Department of Child and Family Services had taken oh, wow. a lot of these kids wow. out of the home. And so she's working with very difficult kids, but but even more difficult parents, you know, doing family therapy and trying to set goals and teach them how to follow through without abusing the kids or without being terrified of their own kids or both you know and so uh she called me over one day and she was super frustrated and she had kind of had it and you know she's like i don't know where to go from here and so i walk in the mom in the session had burned out and was like i don't know what to do and the kid was like oh screw everybody you know and the, the therapist is like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I was sitting there like, well, okay, I, I can, could let me, you me to try to do something. And I, I felt like at some point I started kind of doing the therapy and I thought, you know, I, I need to get a license if they're going to make me do this. <laughs> and, and and it kind of spurred me onward to to do a little education. It kind of got me out of those situations too to where I've, I've been able to work more. I, I like working an outpatient and I don't know if you've had this thought, but I, what I notice is that everybody has to go through outpatient one way or the other, either yeah, as yeah. a way of avoiding more serious intense treatment or because they've already done their intense treatment. I'm sorry. What was that? My wife making something in the background so I couldn't hear you. No, good. I, it, I'm just saying that everybody eventually has to go through outpatient, right, whether they do it instead of intense treatment or inpatient treatment or whether they do it after they come out of inpatient or residential and so uh that's one of the things I like about Outpatient is I feel like it's where the real changes happen a lot of times, the ones that matter the most.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes people use the I don't want to go back so let me let me get committed. Yeah. But you know, sometimes I think it could take a few times, but yeah, absolutely. I, I like I I am finding myself I do like uh, specifically the hours, like uh not working residential, right? Because like, man, just you yeah. Can well, get, it's a twenty
1: four seven kind of a gig.
0: If it snows, like, uh, like out here, and like, um, yeah, you're from Pennsylvania, so you know, if it snows and you're working, you're like, I'm not leaving. I might yeah, be here for twenty four so. hours. Good thing I brought a sleeping bag. And then it's just like, oh, it snowed so bad. Oh, what? We're we're mandated to be mandated to be there. The na- <laughs> I never had this, but I've had friends who've had like the National Guard will drive me to work. Great.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, I never had that, but um, I've just had lucked out where I, the other person would, would stay. But like,
1: yeah, just like I've never yeah. Seen that thing before, I worked. I worked at a hospital uh, in rural Pennsylvania. It was actually run. It was run by. It was a, started started by a Mennonite family years years ago. So it was heavy, kind of like plugged into the Mennonite and Amish community as well as some of the other just other typical communities uh, in that part of Pennsylvania. Anyway, but it was way out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember it's we got kind of snowed in, and um, I ended up sleeping in, in the staff break room on a couch, you know, because the roads were just they hadn't been plowed and I got off work at like midnight and it was treacherous conditions. So I just woke up in the morning and kind of rinsed myself off in the bathroom and I, 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 I kind of uh, stumbled over to the I know I, I knew the lady who did the scheduling, and I just said, "Hey, do you have anyone who didn't make it in this morning?" <laughs> Stick me somewhere. I want to make another eight hours. Yeah, <laughs> that's part of being like, it, like get that overtime. Be, being like twenty one or something too. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> so it's working. Why not? I'm awake. Yeah. <laughs> like I love
0: now having a job where I can't. Get, I'll never get called in to come to work. Like when I worked in retail or at a sort of group home, it's yeah. always my fear. Like you're going to get that call, and then if it's not, an, and you're an hourly uh, wage earner, it's very hard to turn down those calls. Right? Like it's hard. Sure.
1: Because you don't when, stop getting the calls.
0: Yeah, if you don't take it, even if you can't do it, and you can't, you just say no once. If you have yeah. the wrong person, the wrong person on the end of that phone, they're like, "Well, fine, we're never calling you again."
1: Right. Yes. Sometimes you
0: count on that money, so it's like, "Yeah, of course, I can cancel my family and friend plans and go work." Yeah. Or the worst is when they just assume you're staying late every time you come in. You're like, "Yeah, well, okay."
1: Who needs or when sleep? They have some kind of weird. I remember my one of my first uh, Christmases working in mental health. I, no, I didn't know because no one told me. Yeah, we just take turns working the holidays, and you're the new guy, so you're on the schedule for yep. Christmas Day. And, and you're like, what about my family? So, well, what about it? Okay. Yeah, well, all right. I guess that means – You know, um, I
0: had to work Christmas Day at the, the place I did overnights, and that was the day I started looking for a new job.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, how that's rough. Yeah.
0: I actually was living – I'm from Connecticut, and then uh, my – my girlfriend at the time, slash my now wife, was uh-huh. living in Rhode Island, and I ended up basically taking that job just as a way to move here, and it kind of sub, and then kind of oh. set me off into this. And then I went from DD to mental health, and I like I like mental health a lot more.
1: Yeah, it's a lot more my speed.
0: Oh, well, that's that's great. good, man.
1: I did the same. My my wife's uh, from here, so yeah, we've we've had a similar moving strategies. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be near that person. Oh, that worked out. That's yeah.
0: Good. Oh, <laughs> did you move from Pennsylvania to Utah for her?
1: uh i did yeah yeah oh, that's, that's so cool that's mainly why we had met through some other things and then uh kind of communicated and i wanted to see where that that friendship was was going to be so
0: do you like living out in utah i just um i've only driven through it once and i've had like friends from there and when you grow up in the northeast you they you, they raise you with this horrible view of the rest of the country and then you go to those places and you find out everywhere has really cool places and normal yeah. people
1: yeah, you know, it, one of, it was hard for me to get used to in a way because of just that same thinking you're talking about. And it's funny, as I've gone to college, I've taken some of my college classes out here. You get some college professors from the East, too, that are like, oh, good, finally, someone from the East. And I'm an Easterner. I'm not a Utahner. And, you know, it's like, but, dude, you've lived here for 35 years, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we hang on to that identity. Sometimes we can be a little snobbish, I think, because you got
0: – I know.
1: The East has so many things. The Northeast, like you say, it's got like, you know, because I grew up to where we could drive to Baltimore D.C. or New York City or, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, I've really I've actually really taken to it. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things out here that there's there's a certain type of like mountain and uh, mountains and forests and things that are really cool. And um, actually, you know, it's interesting because I moved out here. One of the first things I thought was. Because uh, I'm a person, I really value diversity of people. Yeah, me and too. I, well, there, there's none out here, you know. But it just turns out there's different kinds of diversity. You have a lot of people from the Pacific Islands, a lot of Native Mormons. American communities. And yeah, yeah, and there you go. And so I, well, and I'm, I'm uh, uh, and I, I, I fit fairly well into that community. Uh, I, I've been Mormon since I was young. Uh, my family is oh, as well. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, so that that, but that was also kind of a culture shock for me because I grew up as part of a, the kind of a smaller religious community everywhere else in the world. <laughs> yeah, because I,
0: I didn't know – yeah, the Mormon church is not as strong in like out east as it is like in, I know, Utah. So I actually just, had just saw uh, a Book of Mormon and I'm just fa- fascinated.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was That's, so great. Yeah. <laughs> was you know, so yeah, good. it's funny. for a For a satirical like poke and jab kind of a thing, it's actually been quite a – there's been a lot of people that are like, oh, that's interesting. What's that all about?
0: Well, I like <laughs> so, how the the joke wasn't actually on Mormons as much right. as I, you thought it was. I won't ruin the ending for anyone. I don't know if you've seen it, but like the way it ends, yeah. it's just like, it's really just about this one egotistical guy and a liar, <laughs> and like <Yeah>. just. <laughs> well,
1: it's kind of an interesting thing for those of us that are that are Mormon, because like the way that church decided to handle it uh, from their PR department, they just kind of leaned into it and said. Good for you guys. Basically, they just yeah. they start actually put ads in Times Square that said, "Hey, if you like the musical, you'll like the book."
0: Well, the musical, <laughs> it's oh, and the musical is amazing.
1: So no, that that was that was interesting too because it's a weird kind of unique American experience to go from being just oh, I'm a member of a religion to being like oh, I'm in the dominant religion. That's a weird experience because I don't there's not many other than like if you're Catholic in Boston or yeah. whatever, you know. Uh, and having not grown up that way and then living here with people who have always kind of assumed that is as an interesting cultural thing as well. So, yeah, no, it's, it's got some interesting things. So And I got some family that are from California and Utah and Idaho too. So um, anyway, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice place. Oh, that's cool. I uh, Man, that's so – but
0: it's funny because if you lo- – out there, if you say out east, like oh, out east, but like when you said you're from Pennsylvania, I'm from Connecticut – so for someone from Utah, that must be like, oh, you guys were neighbors, and to us, I'm like, I no, never. Those yeah. are, that's a whole different part of the. You were in a different part of the country that is different than my experience when you get when you're up here because it's just far. Like I, I,
1: I and I, I find that a lot of westerners, uh, in in when when you talk about the east, they think of like this big urban jungle kind of a thing. And yeah. I,
0: well, I mean it I, is in theory. It's just we're lazy and don't drive anywhere, right? Like. <laughs> so, I live in Rhode Island now, and people, I swear to God, this is an actual thing. People here, the joke is that no one will want to drive more than 10 minutes. So, like, and my wife and I, my wife's in Jersey, and we're like, no, fuck that, we'll go wherever we want. So, like, right, New, we're Newport, get- which is, you know, very famous, it's in the beautiful beaches, nice town. It's maybe like a 40 minute drive. We go there all the time. It's like, oh, cool, let's just go do this. It's 40 minutes, no big deal. But people who yeah. grew up here, like, I'm not even kidding. There's people like I meet who won't drive to Providence from their town. At rush hour, because there's too much traffic, there's nowhere to park, and it'll just take too long. And yep. it's like we're talking 15 minutes, and then you meet someone from like Arizona who drives two hours to work every day, and like, yeah, it's no big deal.
1: Yeah, it is funny where where you get that around. I I've seen that, uh, and there's some real homogenous areas in Pennsylvania too. And well, then you run into it here. Here, in Utah is interesting because it's got like uh, one highway, one main highway, and then there's a bunch of other littler highways. And then, but they uh, it, it crosses. You know, it cuts the state and all the towns are pretty much built up around it. And so uh, if you're going anywhere, you're going on I-15 and, uh, you know, Salt Lake City is about 20 minutes from where I live. And it's like people are like, oh, yeah, I never get down to Salt Lake. And it's like it's really just 20 minutes away and it's like a (laughs) nice big city with lots of things in it. And it's like. Oh, yeah, but I just never go down there. It's just so far. It Because it feels farther because there's just one highway, you know. So Yeah,
0: there's a bumper sticker that says, I never leave Rhode Island. And I live in Providence, so, like, it goes Providence, East Providence, and then the next town is Massachusetts. So I have to make an effort not to leave the state, and then there's people who actually are very proudly never leave their own state. And, like, <laughs> it, it's not a joke. I can be out of the state in, like, six minutes. And right. It's... I could be in Massachusetts, East, North, and if I drive like thirty-five to forty minutes, I'm in Connecticut.
1: us <laughs> well, if you think about it, it's interesting because I remember growing up where we'd be like, "Hey, we could go to the Smithsonian if we're willing to drive an hour and forty-five minutes." You know, um, that's incentive to drive. You know, so
0: yeah, that's true. I guess you have to get there, and be like, "Now, what do I do?" But right. <laughs> I just wonder how, like what it is about people. It's I don't know whatever it is about wherever you grow up. It just change. It always will affect your view on wherever you're from. I think some people love it, and like I went the other way with it. I was like, I don't really like this place. I want to leave. And then some people are like, This is the best place ever. I'm never leaving.
1: Yeah, what's the old? Uh, is it Yogi Bear? Wherever you go, there you are. Oh, is that from Yogi Bear? I don't know. I think it might have been Yogi it Bear. It got
0: quoted in the Wire once, and now it would make me feel so much happier if they were quoting Yogi Bear. <laughs> <laughs> that would just add so many levels to that uh, already immensely complex, amazing show that they quoted Yogi Bear.
1: Are you saying Yogi Bear? I think I'm saying Yogi Berra, the the, the athletic spokesperson.
0: Oh, two different things. <laughs> Never mind.
1: <That'd laughs> You're not be great talking about the bear who
0: steals picnic <laughs> baskets.
1: No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know.
0: I, I like to pretend it's him instead.
1: Let's Yeah, we should go with <laughs> that. That should be
0: kind of strange.
1: Oh. See if we can – now that it's – hey, it's out there into the podcast sphere. Now, yeah. it's, now it's canon. It's, it's Let's Chat canon.
0: Yeah, make sure you guys correct me online. Um, actually, that's never happened, but I'm surprised. Well, yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't because I say a lot of things wrong on here. I listen back. I'm like, I should take that out. I'm like,
1: nah. Eh, no, you got to try to provoke a response. That's what I, I'm always like. If One I can day. get the listenership to respond to me in any way, that's probably good.
0: That's the best. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on. Where could uh, people find you online
1: and your uh, so, wonderful podcast? Yeah, yeah. The the podcast is the Broken Brain. And it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, or PodBay, or really any of those, those podcasting kind of apps. Um, it, you can actually also listen to it online if you go to my website. My website is just my name, uh, DwightHurst.com, and that you can go to there. There's If you go to DwightHurst.com slash podcast, it'll have the most recent episode. We also have a podcast archives of all the episodes uh, that you can listen to there, and uh, doing doing some experimenting with some online services as well. Starting some uh, actually they're like group they're they're uh, dialectical behavioral therapy workshops that I'm going to start launching on YouTube. Uh, and then there's some additional services and things that people want to uh, donate to that or or become involved with with that movement. Uh, there's some some writing that uh, is up there as well. People can find. I've been doing some some small little e booklets about facing your fears and other things like that. And all that's on the website. Um, and then, yeah, so basically, just the website's a good place to go to find out what's going on.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much, man. It was so nice to chat with you, and I'll let you know before it goes up. Hey, thanks, Chris. And come back anytime, seriously. This is tons right. of fun. Yeah, yeah, let me know anytime. Hi, right,
1: everyone. Right. And you too.